This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 166. Well, just ahead, Tyson Foods is finding the benefits of cheap meat. And Palantir is finding that government contracts aren't always so easy to close. The software company Verant, they're behind those chat bots that show up when you go kind of anywhere on the web right now. They're using artificial intelligence in some very interesting ways. We're going to talk to their CEO, Dan Bodner. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With Era, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's Era. A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms. But when you do... Hit the subscribe button to make sure you can catch every show. And the drill down is also brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got the business stories behind stocks and the move and help you tell those stories. As always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Hello, Corey. That couldn't have sounded more. <laughs> was it was that from prepared, <laughs> your prepared remarks? Oh, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? It's August. It's August it of 2022. Boy, you're, you're just on top of everything this morning. Uh, yeah. The calendar. looking at the calendar. I can sounding out the word. Well, following on the heels of the big move by the Senate to pass the Inflation Reduction Act, I want to look at a company that has been massively effective, affected, that is, Constellation Energy. Constellation Energy trades under CEG and shares have risen 80% in a year, rising 66% since the start of this year, 2022. So big energy uh, company, uh, but let's let's back up a little bit. So you've mm-hmm. been reading about surely the uh, Senate Inflation Reduction Act passed uh, by the Senate um, and headed to the House um, and then presumably the president's desk. Uh, The big bill, climate change focus, yes, lower the cost of prescription drugs for some. Um, A lot of aspects to this. One that I hadn't read a lot about until I went to the sort of the market and looked at the financial um, implications is the effect on nuclear power. Okay, a lot about uh, climate uh, and, and carbon-free creation of, uh, of electrical power, um, cutting greenhouse gas emissions is a big goal of this, um, uh, 40% below the 20, 2005 levels, which is, of course, is the goal. But nuclear power production credits, tax credits for the creation of nuclear power are a very big part of this. Um, and it's a tricky um, uh, uh, threading of the needle 
um, that is going on here with this bill, which is to say that existing plants get most of the benefit, and they have to be plants that weren't getting benefits from state and local authorities, uh, as well as federal authorities. But those existing nuclear uh, facilities are able to use a production tax credit for the power that they produce. And there's no longer uh, the limits that had been on these in the past. What it fundamentally means for Constellation in particular is that they are going to uh, have an open market, a free market for the tax credits they create by producing power. In other words, they will not only produce the power, they'll be able to sell the tax credits for the production of that power, um, virtually unlimited uh, amounts and unlimited pricing. Um, and that's a huge benefit to this company. Here's CEO Joe Dominguez explaining how that's going to work and the role that this company had in writing this law. As you know, our people have led the way on the development of policies that support the continued operation of baseload clean energy nuclear assets. They produce the bulk of America's emissions free energy 24 7, 365 days a year. So we're pleased to have had a small role in the crafting of the historic federal energy bill that now we believe is on the cusp of success. It recognizes the vital role of clean nuclear energy. In that sense, the drafters of the IRA reached the same conclusion that many of our states have already reached, namely that without baseload nuclear assets, we don't stand a chance of achieving our climate objectives, our affordability goals, or the need to have reliable and resilient power on the grid that could, ex that could withstand the extreme weather we increasingly face. The provisions in the IRA, I'm going, to, I'm going to stumble through that one a couple of times, not only support the continued operation of our assets, but create policy support, which, if extended, supports the 80-year license life that our assets could operate to, giving Constellation and its owners long-term clarity. Let me put this in context for you. By extending the licenses out to 80 years, our existing fleet of clean energy nuclear plants would have an operating life that is longer than any new renewable energy source that is going to be put on the grid this decade. But it's not just the longevity and the electricity side of it that excites us. It's what we could do to provide sustainable jobs for the future of our industry and ensure that those jobs create opportunities where opportunities are needed. Let me give you a little bit of a, a data point on this just to tell you how extraordinary it is. From a job standpoint, Extending the licenses at our plants to 80 years will create over 453 million people hours of work in high-paying jobs across the country, making the nuclear energy provisions of the IRA uh, one of the largest creators of family-sustaining wages. So again, I've read very little about this when I read the Washington Post, the New York Times, uh, et cetera, but, but uh, uh, the, the, the nuclear aspect of this bill is a really big deal. It's always nice when a company can write its own legislation, you know, yes, well, to, create a, look, to create a new business for itself. The, well, it was an existing business. It just takes off some of the, the limits to it, <laughs> um, that, that uh, production tax credit. But, you know, why not? They know this yeah. business better. And, you know, if, if we're going to have nuclear power be part of this solution, Let's why not do let it the right. companies that know it the best? Yeah. Corey, what is your next drill down? Palantir Technologies. You know the company well. Oh, Palantir. I wish I could say 
I had a soft spot in my heart for Palantir. Everyone knows Palantir. They touch everyone's lives. PLTR. Whether you know they're touching it or not. <laughs> Whether they, you, you know it or not. They're listening right now. Uh, Palantir trades under PLTR. Shares have fallen 56% in a year, and they've tumbled this week. Uh, currently trading around $10 a share, despite a 52-week high of 29 bucks a share. Yeah, so uh, announcing earnings uh, that showed a real slowdown uh, in the business, in the growth of their business, I should say. It's still growing. Um, but they came out with projections. Uh, they announced second quarter revenues that were up 26% over the previous year, which is great, right? $473 million. Um, they also lost more money. They went from a hundred and call $140 million loss to $180 million lost. I'm rounding a little bit there. But uh, fundamentally, they projected slower sales and slower sales growth, 21% sales growth in the coming quarter, which would be the slowest growth rate since their IPO in 2020. And, um, well, you know, we talked about, I was joking with you about your prepared remarks, but um, we, <laughs> when we uh, get sound bites for this drill down podcast, I almost always use a sound bite from the portions of a conference call that are in the Q&A for two reasons. So the, typically these calls, they'll read prepared remarks from one or more executives, and then they'll take questions from analysts and investors. And uh, there's lots of tricks and secrets to that. But fundamentally, I feel like they're more likely to speak the truth in a Q&A yeah. uh, than a prepared remark. Also, the quality of their voice is a little bit better. They're not reading from a document. Um, Alex Karp, the CEO of Palantir, reads better than most, sort of. But his mixed metaphors of, you'll hear in a second, but he talks about uh, this, you live by the sword, you pay the price for this. Isn't it? You live by the sword, you die by the sword? Yeah, no. that's, that's the phrase. Not in his convoluted speech. In his convoluted prepared remarks, he says, you live by the sword and pay the price for the sword. Huh? Uh, what? Here's Alex Karp. In the last three years, we have grown Palantir from a 743 revenue business with hundreds of millions of dollars in actual loss to in the last 12 months, a $1.744 billion business with, with 300 million in free cash flow, uh, which represents a 41% CAGR. 41% CAGR on a uh, business that is now in its 18th year is very unusual. Um, there are many reasons for the strong growth, but you live by the same sword that you pay the price for. And we deal with very, very large contracts. And the USG uh, has some of the large, our largest contracts, and they have been pushed out. But because of uncertainty toward the end of the year, we're revisioning guidance down to $1.9 billion. I personally uh, remain very optimistic that the next three years will look a lot like the last three years, again, where we took a money-losing business uh, and made a business that throws off free cash flow, where we ended up, as of today, with $2.4 billion in the bank and no debt, um, and that the large and chunky nature of our uh, uh, contracts will continue to be, in large part, an advantage because these contracts do not disappear. So, yeah, Contracts slowing down. I mean, you know, as losses get bigger and revenue growth slows, uh, it's not a super positive sign for this company, this big, big government contractor, Palantir. Corey, what's your next drill down? Look at Tyson Foods. 
Tyson Foods trades under TSN. Shares have risen 4% in a year, but they've also fallen 4% in the past month. You're not old enough to remember Where's the Beef? Oh, yeah, I am. No, you aren't. It's classic. There's no way. Nick at Night, it ran on Nick at Night. Okay. Well, the, yeah, there was a Wendy's <laughs> ad back in the day. Before Mondale Reagan, it became a slogan in the political campaign. But beef is a big issue for this chicken retailer. So is chicken, of course. Um, Tyson, of course, also sells beef. I thought it was really interesting, right? What are we talking about? Inflation, 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 food, inflation, food, inflation, food, yeah. inflation. And yet their beef sales of $5 billion in the most recent quarter were flat compared to the, compared to the same period last year. Um, and so I thought it was interesting because um, the reason the prices, the, the revenues were flat for them was because they were selling uh, cheaper cuts of beef. Customers were still buying beef, but they were buying cheaper cuts. Yum. No more filet mignons. It's all about the flank, flank steak now in today's economy. They said their average beef price was 1.2% lower in the quarter. Uh, the price of pork also. 3.9% lower. Cheaper pork cuts, I guess. Chicken prices over up 20%, as were their prepared foods. So Jimmy Dean, Ballpark Franks, all those Tyson brands. Um, now, interestingly, uh, for all the reasons that they were citing, um, and you think again about the fact that politically, President Biden has been taking, his, at least his poll numbers have been taking some um, of a beating because of inflation. Well, and so what has he done? He's worked on this climate change bill, right? Um, what yeah. has that got to do with inflation? Everything. Because food inflation at Tyson Foods is happening principally because of drought. Drought is raising the prices of the production of, of Are cattle. you telling me everything's connected? Not everything. Are you telling me we live on the same planet as everyone else? If we could play music, if we had the, the rights, which we don't, we'd play Everything is Everything. <laughs> yeah, Lauren Hill, but we won't do that. Nonetheless, I thought it was really fascinating to hear uh, Tyson citing the reason for inflation being the massive amount of drought affecting cattle prices. Here is a, oh no, this is a, here's a title that I've never had before on this show. The group president of Fresh Meats from Tyson Foods, Shane Miller. We're still experiencing drought and I'd say the drought impact is still impacting over 40% of the, of the regions where we grow, grow cattle out in this country. So the drought is real and it's still having an impact today. I think getting precise and specific on the timing of when it's gonna flip is awfully difficult to do because uh, we're dealing with mother nature right now. But I would say if you look at, at beef demand in general, we continue to see real robust demand, not just in the United States, but globally. So uh, we feel real good from a demand perspective. The quality of beef that we're still bringing to the marketplace is historically strong. Grading continues to, to maintain um, a high level. So uh, from, a, from a demand perspective and a quality perspective, we feel real good about this. Um, but as, as to getting precise on the timing of when that's going to flip, I think that's awfully difficult to do. I love a good group president speak. Really? So Fresh meats? So who's buying these? Um, I'm assuming there's some sort of surplus of filet mignon. Uh, not according to the prices I see in the grocery store. Filet, ribeyes. Are they all Michael, dropping? I don't, yeah. I don't really eat a lot of steak anymore, but. Who's um, buying them is my yeah. question. Well, they're just, they're selling less. The, the, the customers are going towards the, the cheaper cuts of meat. And they're just doing it without the filet? I guess. 
Is ground Damn round? Sure. Is that where's the ground? Where's ground round sit on the price or price scale? It's the cheapest stuff. Is that the cheapest stuff? Okay. Yeah. It's the shoulder. Oh, when they I, say shoulder, they usually mean ass. Just in case you're wondering. <laughs> I just didn't have anything radio appropriate to say. Do you know my, 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 uh, on the radio, um, <laughs> my daughter, my daughter used to be, I taught, I taught my daughter, my oldest daughter, when she was about five or six years old to walk down the butcher counter and pick out all the different cuts of meat, which she can you no did? longer do. But yeah, they actually offered her a job listing. Yes. I love a good butcher. <laughs> when you grow up that in is New York, you learn your way around a butcher your shop. Your way, you grew up above a, oh, I didn't know this about you. I learned something new every yeah, day. Yeah. You've lived a thousand all right. lives. Well, you know who wants to learn a lot about us? Who? Verant. Ah. This is a company behind those chat bots that pop up when you go on different uh, uh, websites. And I they love a good chat bot. Engage with their customers more. Dan Bodner is the CEO of Verant. He's going to talk to us about the growth in that business, the, the uh, move to the cloud, the use of artificial intelligence to do so. Uh, interesting company that we actually run into quite a bit when you don't even know you're running into it. That's Verant right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. We're back with the Drill Down podcast right now. We are joined by the CEO of Verant. Uh, right now, Dan Bonder joins us, uh, and Dan, we're glad to have you. Um, uh, how do you describe when you're at one of your fancy cocktail parties, or back when people used to have them? How do you describe Verant's uh, mission? What do you guys do? Uh, Verant is the in the customer engagement business, so we help brands uh, elevate the customer experience and also uh, close the engagement capacity gap. So we provide software that helps them to run their contact centers, run their customer engagement centers and um, optimize it using AI uh, software, uh, optimize the cost and, and trying to maximize the, their customer experience. I've heard this described as AI customer service. AI is technology. Uh, for technology to really be effective, it needs to be incorporated in, in the business process. Uh, so we, we do provide uh, workflows that are powered by AI that helps our customers to use their workforce of people and bots to work together. So there's more and more bots incorporated in customer service, but where you really get the benefits of AI is where people and bots are working side by side, bots helping people to you know, deal with mundane issues. And, uh, and, and of course, uh, uh, people are important in this business because they can show empathy, which, uh, which bots cannot. And um, you know, successful engagement is where you resolve the customer issue, but you also leave the customer with very good experiences. I, I, maybe it's because I'm grumpy. I like to say I'm grumpy because I'm older, but I'm just grumpy. And I, sometimes those bots make me nuts. Uh, and yet I see more, I'll see more, for example, investor relations websites or a pay, the investor relations page on a website offer some sort of virtual guided assistance to help me find what I want. And um, it is it is a it is interesting the growth in that the notion that that can be of assistance, right? So so if if you ask yourself why why do you see so many bots, uh, let's look at numbers. 
The customer engagement industry is spending every year $65 billion on technology. And, and that's, that's quite a you know, big investment. But at the same time, it's spending $2 trillion annually on labor. So when you think about a total number, it really only 3% is technology and 97% is people. And with the wage inflation and it's difficult to hire and the number of engagement is actually growing. So brands feel the pressure to hire more, but it's not sustainable. So that creates that pressure now on, okay, what's the next technology that we can use? Uh, and, and, and brands ha actually have to deploy bots because they just can't hire and pay for uh, a growing uh, workforce. Now, what we and are trying to do is train those people to give the right answers, right? Exactly. And even if you can get the people in the door and keep them long enough so they know what's going on with the company. Yeah. Right, That's right. It's hard to, hard to hire, hard to retain, enable. Um, there's lots of uh, challenges with the workforce. So, uh, you know, uh, AI is here to help. Uh, it's not a perfect technology. Bots cannot do everything that people can. But if they work well together, then you will not have some of the experiences that you were, you, you were referring to, like terrible experiences. We know very often that that's what we see, uh, but that's what Varian does. You know, we, we are investing a tremendous amount of uh, uh, money in technology and not just technology, but uh, subject matter experts from the customer engagement industry that brings technology and business process together in order to make the experiences so much better. And also at the same time, reduce the cost uh, for the brand. And, th and this is what's uh, what is known as UCAS, is that right? Unifies communication as a service. Right. right. So UCAS, CCAS, uh, these are communication software that basically connects the uh, consumer with the brand. Uh, but it's really an infrastructure software. Uh, what we do is we, we go one step deeper, which is, uh, okay, you make the connection, but now how effective is the workforce? What is the knowledge, right? So for example, knowledge management. If you don't have a knowledge repository that is um, all the time improving with AI, then you cannot give your workforce the right answers. Uh, they can communicate, but it will take them time to search for the right answer. They'll have to put customers on hold, go search uh, in, in databases, and of course that that's uh, bad customer experience because you have to wait uh, for a long time for your answer, but it's also very costly. Uh, so uh, knowledge that is pushed automatically to an agent based on context and knowledge that is uh, improved based on AI, machine learning, because you know some of your best employees actually have very good answers. If you capture those answers using AI and you learn mach using machine learning technology, you learn from your best people, you can actually automatically build your knowledge base also to be shared with the rest of the employees. And even more interesting, you share the same knowledge base with your bots and you make your bots even smarter. So this is just an example of how, you know, AI is beyond just UCAS and, you know, connecting one side with another, but actually providing tools to make that connection very uh, smart in terms of fast responses and contextual responses. Uh, uh, to what degree is this software that's used to manage call centers? Very much so, very much so. Contact center are very labor intensive. You, you would have, in some cases, thousands of people sitting in contact center, or now not even sitting in one building, but actually working. Right, they're working at home. Right, yeah. but, but they're all part of this contact center uh, pool of resources. And um, as you know, different people have different skills based on their tenure, based on their nature. Uh, there's also um, 
you know, an issue of forecasting the, the workload. You know, if you expect a million calls next month and 200,000 calls will be in Spanish, you want a workforce that is able 20% of the time to respond in Spanish. So you need to be able to understand the workload, focus the skills, again, use AI in doing very accurate forecasting. People today are looking for a lot of flexibility. They want to work uh, shifts based on, you know, their, their uh, you know, needs at home. So um, you, when you have to schedule uh, a shift of, you know, a thousand people and uh, that's, that can go 10 hours or 12 hours a day, it's pretty complex to manage all this for, for your employees so you can have a happy sales uh, workforce, but also provide the right skill set and fast responses to your customers. But there's a lot of and AI going, going into the contact center. And you've also, talk about complicated, you're also, as I like to say, changing the fan belt whilst the engine runs in that you're, you're going more towards a cloud business and getting away from on-premise software um, while you continue to sell both. Yes, we, 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 you know, the same way that we believe in uh, giving consumer flexibility as a consumer, you may want to call or chat or email or, me, or, or me, you may want to Twitter or Facebook Messenger, right? There's a lot of flexibility. We all love flexibility. In the same notion, we decided to give our customers, the brands, flexibility. And, you know, we, we have uh, close to 10,000 customers. Uh, Varian has uh, 10 of the top um, largest banks in the world, nine of the top 10 largest insurance companies in the world. We work with very large uh, companies in financial services, healthcare, and, and, and so on. These companies cannot just move to the cloud all at once. Uh, they have many divisions. They, they have presence in a lot of different geographies. And their journey to, to the cloud is, is, is gradual. So that's why we designed a platform to, to work both on-prem as well in the cloud so that our customer can migrate uh, at their own pace. And you're at about 45% cloud revenues. Is there a tipping point where something different happens in terms of uh, your growth rate or your costs or something else as it relates to percentage of revenues from the cloud? Maybe you're already past that. Yeah, so, so we just passed, last year was 45% of revenue, but it was more than 50% in new booking. So we just passed the midpoint. And yes, there is a, there is a very critical uh, point in time where, you're, you know, in, in a cloud transition, there's a lot of headwind in the beginning in terms of the year-over-year -year comp uh, with revenue. As you start to get into the second half or the, large, the last innings of, of the play, uh, you get a lot of uh, basically tailwind because you get the benefits of all the SaaS subscriptions that you sold in prior years and they're starting to build up into the future and you have less headwind from your perpetual deals uh, declining. So we, we're just about, you know... Um, so if I, can, if I can paraphrase that, what you're saying is that the semi-permanence of a cloud customer makes up for the perpetual licenses that are ending uh, and have a sort of cliff at the end. The, the perpetual nature in, from a counting standpoint is that you, you recognize the entire revenue up front and in the subscription model, you recognize it over time. So obviously a million dollars of um, perpetual deal will be recognized at the current quarter. The same million dollars of SaaS deal will be recognized over three years. Right. And that's why at the beginning, when, you, when you're converting more perpetual to, to SaaS, you get a lot of headwind. But eventually... And, and then if you, want to get, if you want to really geek out on the accounting, your sales cost that goes with the sale of that license hits in the first, in the quarter in which it was sold, 
even though the revenue from that license comes over the course of three years. And your engineering costs happens before you actually get the revenues over time. And so you can't amortize those costs over the length of a contract when you're, uh, when you're in a Absolutely, business. absolutely. And, and even cash flows, you know, we, we gave guidance that our cash flow this year will be uh, faster, faster growth, uh, you know, faster than our, our, our EBITDA. And that's because also from a cash flow perspective, on a perpetual deal, you will invoice the customer for the entire deal up front. In a subscription, it's every year at the beginning of the year for one third. So everything at the beginning is harder in a cloud transition and everything starts to get easier as you get into uh, the, first, the second half of the, of, of the game. You, you threw a phrase up before and you may have explained it without explaining it or without defining it, but you said engagement capacity gap. That, that's a phrase that shows up in your SEC filings too. What is the engagement capacity gap? Yeah. So, um, you know, brands are trying to um, contain their cost at the same time, elevate the customer experience. And as we, as we know, this could be conflicting because if you're trying to um, use less, less people, uh, eventually you will start to uh, damage your relationship with your customers. You, they, they will be waiting too long for responses. So there's always been a friction between the capacity that an organization have and their ability to satisfy their, their uh, consumers. Now, lately, because the whole industry is shifting to digital, the consumers no longer need just to uh, place a phone call. Now, from your mobile device anywhere, you can just chat or send a WhatsApp or a messenger me message, and you will still expect someone to respond to this. The number of digital interaction is growing very fast. So when, when you look at brands, and that's across many, many industries, where it's financial services or healthcare or retail or, or, or transportation, all those companies who went through a digital transformation have realized that the number of consumer interaction is growing and therefore they actually need to increase the amount of labor that they spend to respond. But as we know, there are limited resources and budgets. So when you have more interactions and actually consumer expect faster response and you cannot grow the number of people, you start to, you start to experience a gap. It's a capacity gap. And the more you go digital, which everyone now wants to go digital, that's the, the you know, that's where the world is going. The more uh, brands go digital, the worse they, they experience this gap. And there's only two um, uh, remedies here. You know, e e either you spend the money and hire more people, or you invest in AI technology that can replace some of this extra labor with automation. And that's why we see variant, uh, a great opportunity for us to actually help uh, brands to do more with the same resources and budget. People are so demanding. Can't they just wait? <laughs> uh, it's the it's, it's culture. The young generation is just used to fast responses. They text to each other. They they feel like, you know, I can get an answer in two minutes. They expect it now. From oh, I know. End, you know. My uh, teenagers will call me from the next room <laughs> rather than get up from a chair and come to uh, oh, You're lucky because my, my teenager is actually just uh, texting me. They don't call. <laughs> Uh, yes, well, it's only, only when they're really being demanding. Dan Bader, you've been very generous with your time. We appreciate Dan Bader as the CEO um, of Verant System. When the drill down continues, we are going to have one number that tells us a whole lot more about Verant Systems right after this. 
The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And perhaps you have a smart speaker somewhere near you. If you were to put that smart speaker in a hard substance and give it like a big karate chop and break it in half, you would see that Isaac and I would be inside there. This little tiny Isaac and little tiny Corey and our little tiny guests, our little tiny sound bites, little tiny drill down. Just ask your smart speaker to play the drill down podcast. You can hear a little tiny Corey, a little tiny Isaac, and all the other wonders that come with our show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the bite, the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot about Verant Systems. Isaac, Verant Systems in our last quarter was growing at 9% or 8.5%. I'm going to call it 9 But do you want to know how fast that cloud business is growing? It's faster. Yeah, faster than 9 Let's say double. Let's say 18 Wrong. The number is 30%. That cloud oh. growth rate at 30%. So... It's interesting. I mean, what a shows, beautiful cloud. What a beautiful cloud. Well, it shows, how, it shows how the growth rate of the company is slowed down by the shrinking on prem business. But there is a tipping point. Uh, I was hoping Dan would give us that answer. But there's a tipping point at which all of a sudden the, the growth rate of the cloud business is going to take over and accelerate the overall growth rate of the company. Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting business. I, I was once short a uh, competitor of theirs called Right Now. And I realized at a certain point, I was only sh- the biggest reason I was short is because the CEO was an asshole. Why was he an asshole? Why? I wasn't sure, but later when he ran for Congress, he punched why did out. You, a, I, why, more, why did you think he was an asshole? Because <laughs> he, he wrote a book about how to, start, how to bootstrap your own business. And I went back and looked and saw that he'd started the business with venture capital funding. And his book was, you know, uh, it was like, well, you didn't bootstrap your own business, yeah. dude. You took other people's money. Um, and right. then later he quit the company and ran for Congress and punched out a reporter who asked him a bad question he didn't like. Okay, fair enough. Asshole. So I was right. He was an asshole. See, I can say that because I'm bigger than him. He's not going to be punching me out. You've been listening to the Drill Down Podcast. I'm so glad. Aren't you glad we're at a safe distance, all of you listeners? Yeah. The Drill Down uh, was <laughs> produced by our executive producer, Isaac Webster. Our editor extraordinaire is Ben Wilson. Drill down to the production of the Business Podcast Network.